Irish because next week with Mike um, doing the service and uh, so I, I kind of struggled a little bit with what I was going to say and then with the funeral I kind of adapted some things so uh, we're going to kind of just trust me here on, on, on where I'm going with this. Uh, but um, my thought this morning and kind of where we're going to focus this morning is the idea of after Christmas. And I know some of you, like us, you've already put away your Christmas stuff, and that's always a good feeling uh, because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old, and I know I'm getting old because I like my routine. So, you know, when everything gets back to where it's supposed to be, I, I get more comfortable uh, in, my, in my little world. And yet, when I look at the Christmas story, one of the things that we never talk about when we talk about the Christmas story is what happened after. What happened after all the angels have gone and the wise men and, and everybody else? And when you study that story, I think there's a lot of lessons in there for us. Because the after Christmas story is not a pretty story. And yet we don't think of it in that term, so I'm hoping this morning that we can take a few minutes and we can think about it and we can look at it maybe from a little bit different perspective and maybe see it a little differently than we've seen it before. So the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, I want to talk about the visit of the wise men, or the, ma the magi. And, and here's the story, Matthew chapter 2, <coughs> and here's what it says. Um, these are the wise men. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen rose and went on with them until it stopped at the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So remember, Jesus has been born. Um, the angels came to the shepherds. The shepherds come and visit Jesus in the stable. Mary and Joseph then get out of the stable and get into a home. The, sh the, the magi have traveled and they come. We don't know how long a period, but we know that in this story, they, they, they visit in a home, not in the manger. So there's some time that has passed. Uh, we know that, that, that Jesus went to the temple, so um, probably at the eighth day, so that had probably already happened, so, or maybe just before that, but all of this kind of happens in there pretty close. And so uh, afterwards, what happened is the Magi come looking for him, and notice what it says. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. Now, it doesn't say that Joseph was there. We assume he's there, but the Bible doesn't say. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we know this story. And then it says, And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So think about it for a second. These guys now fall down and worship Jesus. They present to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you would think now that they would be able to go back and everybody was excited. But an angel appears to them and says, Uh, don't go back to where you came. You've got to go home a different route this time. Because people are kind of looking for you. And notice then what happens. It goes on, the story goes on, and it says, um, verse 13. Uh, got it, guys? Yeep. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, because we don't think about this. You're Mary and Joseph. Your world was going along okay. You were going to get ready to get married. And all of a sudden, you find out that your fiancé is pregnant. 
And you're thinking about now you've got to kind of divorce her and get rid of her and break off the engagement thing. And an angel comes to you and says, no, 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 this thing's of God. Well, you know, you can imagine how that story floated in the community. So now everybody in the community doesn't want anything to do with you. So you stay married, you stay engaged to this girl, knowing that it's just not, it's just not going to be pretty. And then, in spite of all that, as she got, starts to get more and more pregnant and gets closer and closer to delivery, all of a sudden now, Rome makes this decree, and you've got to take this long trek to your main city, Bethlehem, which was where your family was from. And you've got to go there for a census, and you've got a pregnant wife there, and you're going, you know, this just ain't good. But you don't have any choice, so you're kind of bummed about it, but you make this long trek down to Bethlehem, and all of a sudden, she goes, hey, look, you know, we've we got to do something. We've got to stay somewhere tonight. I think the baby's coming. And the only place that you can find is a manger, and so at this point, I mean, your whole world has kind of just started this downward spiral. And yeah, you know God's involved in it, but let me tell you something. God's not the one taking all this grief. And it's God's plan and all of that. But you know what? God's not the one that's having to be right here dealing with all of the, the, the repercussions of everything God's doing. And so then this child is born, and you, you, you know that this is a special child, and you know that this is a unique child, and you know that this thing is of God, and you know that God's involved in this thing. And all of a sudden, a whole bunch of shepherds show up, and they're praising God, and they're telling you this incredible story about angels and sky opening and, 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 and multitudes singing, and you get all excited because you think, this is great. Now that this child is born, our life's going to change. And then, if that's not good enough, when people start bringing in the, like the baby presents, a bunch of expensive rich guys come waltzing in and go, here's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and you went, this is really going to get good. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, Joseph's sitting there, I'm sure, doing the ask, going, well, you know, with the gold, if I sell it, I can make a bigger shop, and we can produce more stuff, and we can, and you've got all these plans. And then an angel comes to you and says, oh, by the way, you've got to go to a foreign country with this little child and live until I tell you you can go. If you're raising the Son of God, I'm not sure that's the way you think it's supposed to work. When you're in Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, where, like, the temple is and the, all the God stuff happens and, and the king lives and all of that, and, and you're looking at it thinking, this is going to be great, and now all of a sudden you've got to take this little child and you've got to go to a foreign country where you're going to raise your child, where they don't speak your language, and they don't know anything about you, and, 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 and you don't have any friends, and you don't have any relatives, and you don't even know how you're going to pay the bills, and, and yeah, you've got gold, frankincense, and birth, but you had better plans for that. And they even had to use that in order to be able to pay bills, in order to be able to stay down there, because you can't make a living because you're in a foreign country as a stranger. And it says, oh, and then you find out the king, the guy who's the most important person in all of the area, has basically said, I want to kill you. I want to kill your child. And he stayed until the death of Herod, and so it was fulfilled by what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity that were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the, prophet, from the Magi. 
Then that which was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And in addition to that, a bunch of innocent children die. Abortion, by the way, is not new. A bunch of innocent children die because of your child. Merry Christmas. See, we don't think of this part of the story very often. But I think it is so important for us to step back and ask ourselves, how do we respond when things don't play out like we think they should? How do we handle that kind of stuff? And it's interesting, when you read the gospel account, one of the passages says this, Mary simply pondered these things in her heart. And we'll get to that in a second. But how do you respond when, you know, you kind of got your world figured out or what you think it ought to be or how it ought to work out, and all of a sudden it doesn't start working out like that? We spent six weeks in Sunday school going through probably, I think, one of the, one of the toughest Sunday school sessions we've ever gone through where we dealt with this idea of what do you do in the meantime when God's not doing what you want him to do or how you want God to respond? How do you handle all that? And, and, and in that thing, I mean, you know, it was, first of all, it was good for me because of what we're, our journey for last year. But a um, couple of things to think about when things kind of don't work the way that you want them to work out or go the way you think they ought to go or you sit back and say, God, why are you allowing this or why are you doing this or how come this is playing out this way? A couple of things to think about. First of all, you need to remember you're not accountable. God's not accountable to you. Now, it may not sound like the kind of thing you want to hear, but here's the reality of it. God's God and you're not. And God's not accountable to owe you any explanation for anything He does or any reason that He does it. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, one of the best, one of the last theological discussions my buddy Doug and I had was on this topic. And one night we were playing cards, and Doug, Doug's favorite Bible character was the, is Job, and uh, rightfully so. Um, but um, Doug was talking one day. He goes, "Okay," he said. He said, and again, you know, we wouldn't have these discussions a lot, but when we got into them, they got long and they got really detailed. And so Doug said, "Okay." He said, and he read the book of Job quite a bit, and he said, okay, here's what I don't get. He said, he said uh, my problem is this. He said, in Job's life, when you read Job's life, when you get to the end of the book, the last chapter, he said, everything that God took from Job, he got back. He said, but it don't work out like that. He said, so I don't understand why you go all the way through this stuff, and then at the end, it all works out good, so who wouldn't be happy? And Doug said, it don't always work out like that. And so, you know, I sat back and I said, okay, Doug, I said, let's think through the book then. I said, because that's not the focus of the book. The book is not about it all works out in the end. The book is about God is God. And he can do whatever he wants. And, um, <laughs> and Doug right away, he goes, oh, yeah. He said, I know the passage. And it's found in Job 38. And, and, and when you get into Job like 38 through, through the end of the book, it's kind of where God and Job will have this really good heart-to-heart, heart-to-heart kind of talk. And I mean, they really go at it. And basically, what happens in that passage, and Doug could quote it, and, and he did. And he basically, it's what God looks at Job, and he goes, Hey, by the way, buddy, where were you when I hung the stars? Because I, I kind of like don't remember you being there. 
Where were you when I created stuff, Job? Because, you know, I mean, maybe my memory's getting bad, but I don't think you were there. And he goes on and on and on, and God kind of puts Job in perspective with all of it. And then it's really interesting because Job continues on. Even after God says that, Job, like, continues on with God for a minute. You get to chapter 40, and basically Job, God looks at Job, and here's what he says. He goes, uh, are you really going to question what I'm doing? He said, I, God, God looks at him and says, Job, let, let me ask you something. Are you really going to correct me? I mean, you really think that's your place, Job? And it's, it's fascinating because basically, and by the way, by the end of the book, before all that gets restored, Job basically says, look, I've learned God's God. And God's going to do what he wants. And he focuses on God, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but I think the first thing you have to remember is God, God's not accountable to you and I for what he does in our life. He's God. He has a right to do whatever he wants. Second thing is this. You've got to remember, our perspective is so, so limited. And we forget that. Yesterday at the funeral, um, actually I had this illustration for today, and I used it yesterday, and I'm going to use it today in a different context, but uh, it makes the point so well. I stole it from somebody else, so I can't take credit for it. Um, but here's what, here, here's what I want. I used this yesterday at the funeral to illustrate Glenn's life, and I used this piece of tape to represent all 80 years that Glenn lived on this earth. I said, here he is. This is his life, 80 years, right here. I said, but what we don't think about is that we're eternal beings. We have a beginning, but we don't have an end. And I used it yesterday to illustrate that what happens is when we get to a funeral, this is what we focus on. But the reality of it is, this is our life. And the rope has no end. You don't know where it goes. It just keeps going and going and going, pretending that, okay? would have been too expensive. Um, but I said, the problem with us is, this is what we see and this is what we focus on. And I, I used the illustration, I said, on Wednesday morning when Glenn left this world, this world started for him. And he entered a world with Jesus Christ because at one point in his life, Glenn... In this 80 years, at this little point right here, put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One moment, one time, in 80 years. And it produced for him an eternity forever with God. Instead of an eternity apart from God. Because Christ was very clear. Deny me, deny me here, I'll deny you there. Acknowledge me here, I'll acknowledge you there. And I use this to illustrate Glenn's life and the importance of knowing what happens when we die. And so this would illustrate to you. Now, here's what I want to do. Yesterday, I was talking to people about whether or not they put their faith and trust in Christ. And I hope that everyone here has. So this morning, I want to talk to people who have put your faith and trust in Christ. And we'll use the same illustration. That is your life. You take that struggle, that hardship, that pain, that, that whatever it is you're going through right now that is just huge in your world, your job situation, your family situation, your marriage situation, whatever it is, health situation, there it is. That's, 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 if you had it your whole life, there it is. 
If you only have it for a short season in your life, a couple of months or a year or a couple of years, then it would be represented by a little line or two on this piece. But what we forget is that what, what is God looking at? Is this what God sees? No, no, no. This is what God sees. read a great saying this week, and it's probably going to be my theme for the rest of this year, so get used to hearing it. Right now, God is doing 10,000 things in your life. You might be aware of three. John Piper said that. He said, right now, you need to remember, God's at work doing about 10,000 things in your life today. You might know about three of them. Because you see, this is what we focus on. We take what we're going through right now and we magnify it. We make it so big and we make it so important. And I'm not saying, I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to say it's not. But compared to this, compared to this, and we forget that. And I get most of you are like Paul. Some of you are like Paul where, you know, you're like, look, I've had enough of this. I'm looking forward to this. And that's where Paul says, he says, look, I understand. To die is to gain. I understand. I, you know what? I had enough of this. I'm ready for this. Here's what Paul said. But you understand, God still wants to use me during this time. Now, here's the thing about this illustration that I would love to do, but I couldn't figure out a way to do it. Here's what we minimize, and here's what we don't get. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever struggle you have, God says one of the things that he does is he comforts us so that we can comfort others. So that struggle, that situation, whatever it is that God brought into your life that you're wrestling with right now, here's what you need to understand. God can use that and help you through that. And then here's what God wants to do with it. God wants to use that to change somebody else's life. So if we could illustrate this, here's what we would do. We would take that event that you're going through right now and we would add, so let's say, I'm just going to try to use it personally. So the biggest thing in our life last year, last year the most difficult thing was, was losing Doug, losing my best friend. And I have people who are watching how I handle that and watching how I process that. And let's say that I'm able to encourage or help somebody else as they process that. And here's what would happen. We would take their rope and we would add it right here. And it would start another rope going off in that direction. And let's say I'm really fortunate. I can influence two or three people. I can help two or three people. Now I've got like four or five ropes from that point in my life heading out. And let's say they come out through it and they do well through it. And they're able to influence. Now we've got a rope heading off from their direction. And when it's all said and done, this entire auditorium is covered with ropes that are all interconnected because of God using that event, that hurt, that disappointment, that struggle, that hardship in my life. And God used it not just to do me, but not just to do it in my life, but to do it in the lives of all of those ropes that would be interacted because of that. You see, we lose perspective. We look at what's happening to us. God, why are you doing this to us? How come this is so hard? Lord, we don't understand because God's looking at it like this. And I want to challenge you. You go, well, you don't understand my struggle. My struggle is going to last my entire lifetime. Okay. But this isn't your life. This is. 
this is. And I want to challenge you because so many times what happens is when we go through events, when we go through struggles, when we go through hardship, when we go through things in our life, we, we, we take it and we magnify it and I get that it's real, I get that it's hard, I get that it's painful, I get all of that. I don't want to minimize any of that. But I want to put it in proper perspective the way God does. And the way God looks at it is, I'm doing so much more than just this little event in your life. But you got to trust me. you got to turn to me. And this is what happens. And, and you find this in the life of Job. What do we ask when we go through a tough time? What's the first question we ask? Why? I've asked why for a lot of years. In all my years of asking why, I'll be honest with you, I've never had an answer that I went, oh, okay, then that's acceptable to me. Because the second I come up with a why, I have another why. And I've never found why to be a satisfactory answer. And neither did Job, by the way. You want to know when Job's whole thing, whole perspective turned? When he stopped focusing on why, and he started focusing on who. In chapter 42, one of the things that Job says is, he says, I get it now. You're God. I now see you. That's why God, when Job kept asking all these questions, that's why God kept going, hey, Job, where were you? Job, I'm God. You're not. Trust me, Job. I know what I'm doing. Job, this is what I have in mind. This is all you have in mind. You're not seeing it like I see it. Probably one of the most famous passages. Most of you know this by heart. Proverbs 3. Here's what he says. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. Don't try to figure out. Ooh, I knew I was going to do that. I actually moved it from there because I almost have destroyed that plant completely. Um, Sorry, Deb. Uh, But, I mean, the idea is this. The idea is when you're in that moment, when you're in that situation, when you're in that life experience right now, your job's not working out like you thought. Your marriage isn't working out like you thought. You got problems with your kids. You got problems at work. You got problems with your finances. You got, you got health issues that have come up. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever that moment or that season or maybe your entire life is about, here's what he says. Trust in the Lord. Lean not into your own understanding. Don't try to figure it all out. You'll drive yourself crazy. Don't try to put all the pieces together. Because you'll find out you don't have all the pieces. It's like doing a 10,000-piece puzzle and realizing somebody took the last piece. I used to do that to my wife when she'd do a puzzle. I'd take one piece, I'd put it in my office, and then she got, she'd be, as she got closer and she got closer, what I'd do is I'd walk up and I'd like slip it onto the table, and then I'd go, oh, this goes right here. And she'd been looking for that piece for, you know, um, no. But you should know, I thought really hard about it. Um, no. But I mean, that's what it, I think sometimes with God, we try to put it all together, but we don't get all the pieces. Why? Because he's doing 10,000 things, and we're focused on three. And that's what he says. He says, in all your ways, submit to him. Look, trust him. He know, he's got this in mind. He'll help you through it. He'll get you through it. 
You know, you know, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't get it. It's like it's going to be so hard for the, you know, we're going to be paying that off for like years and years and years. Eventually, you'll do it. You'll get through it. You know. Oh no, you know, I've been diagnosed with this, and I don't know how my life's going to be now. And it, it, I, I don't either. But you'll get through it. You'll get through it. Because God has so much more than just this in view for you. And I think we forget that. And I think that's a, that's, that, that's a reminder. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph, when they were going through what they were going through and they've got to leave Egypt, even though they know that this is a special child and this is the Son of God and all of that, let me tell you something. If you think they just blew that off and went, oh, this is no big deal. We'll just truck on down to Egypt like nothing happened. I, I don't think you understand. They are real people. And they would have struggled just like you and I would have struggled with it. And it would have turned their world upside down. And we don't think about that. But I think so many times for us in our lives, we focus on the temporal, that which we can see. But God's at work on the eternal, that which we can't see. I want to challenge you because I don't know what you're going through. But I know we've got a lot of people in here that are carrying a lot of really heavy stuff. And I know that we've got a lot of people who are really, really struggling right now because things aren't going like they thought. The expectations that they had for life aren't kind of playing out like they thought it ought to play out. Or they're looking at, they're at the beginning of a very, very long journey and they don't understand what, how they're going to get through it or why or how or to, and, and, and it, but they, they, it's not like they don't love God or trust God. It's just that, that it's so overwhelming that they're getting lost in it. I want to remind you, we focus here, but we have a God, we have a Savior, we have a Lord who's concerned about this. He loves us. He gave his life for us so that we could have an abundant life here. But more important than that, this is what he has in mind. This is his focus. His focus is how that event in your life is going to impact that person, to impact that person, to impact that person, to impact that person, to impact that person. That's what he's concerned with. And he knows how all of this is interconnected. We don't. And so those 10,000 things he's trying to do in your life right now, I get the three that you're focused on are tough. But you have no idea. You know, I, 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 I joked with my kids the other day, because if you know Josh and Alex's story about how they met, it, it was kind of a fluke. I mean, it was a God thing, but it was a fluke thing where Josh crashed a wedding at the last minute. So once in a while, huh? Yeah, so once in a while I give him a hard time and I'm like, hey, Josh, what if you're playing video games and didn't go to the wedding? <laughs> he had no idea what God had in mind. Why? He was focused on helping the buddy. You know, again, you just don't know. But God's in control. I look at it. I was never supposed to go to school in South Carolina. I went to school in South Carolina kicking and screaming. I was scheduled to go to school in Springfield, Missouri. I pity that poor girl <laughs> who missed out on what my wife gets to experience. I mean, I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. 
And for those of you who are in Sunday school, I'm special. Um, you know, uh, oh man, look, look. <laughs> yeah, I need to get some sleep. Um, look, this year, this year is going to have some tough struggles. It's going to have some really hard challenges. I, I, I'm not going to minimize that. They're going to be painful. They're going to be hard. But God's God. And we're not. And God is working in so many things in our lives today. And we just don't get the big picture. We don't see what He's doing. But it really comes down to the idea of just trusting Him. And saying, you know what, God? You'll work it out. And when it's all said and done, Make it count. I was challenged this week. I was reading a blog by somebody. It really got me thinking. And they said often, it talked about changing the way we pray. And it said often when we pray, whenever we're going through a hardship, whenever we're going through a struggle, whenever we're going through pain, our prayer for most of us is get me out of it, get me through it, make it end. The challenge of this article was we need to change, the, that this person was going to change the way they prayed. And they were simply going to say, God, make it count. Make this hurt, make this pain, make this difficulty, make this hardship count. Use it. Don't, wait, don't let me waste this hurt. Don't let me waste this pain. Don't let me waste this difficulty, but make it count. And I, I really want to challenge you because I think there's something to be said when we pray that way for how it changes eternity for so many other people. And when you go through some of those things, I think to step back and say, Lord, help me through it. Guide me through it, but Lord, help me to make it count. Use it. Use it in some way that good can come out of it. Because when it's all said and done, folks, our lives aren't about this. They're about this. And this is what God wants to do. And we really have to step back as we head into this year and say, Lord, look, it's not maybe what I planned, but Lord, help me to make it count. So my prayer for you goes something like this. The after Christmas story is one filled with heartache, pain, and a lot of questions. Our lives are going to have difficulties and our lives are going to have struggles. The goal is not to live a struggle-free life. The goal for people is to see Christ through our struggles. Our challenge is to remember and to keep a proper focus this coming year. Our goal should be to make this year count and impact eternity. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, none of us are going to be foolish enough to stand up here or to pray this week, bring on difficulty and struggle. Lord, it's not something that we embrace naturally. Lord, all of us, as we go through difficult times, want it to end because, Lord, we just tend to focus on the here and now. And, Lord, as we watch our fellow brothers and sisters go through stuff, Lord, we, 
we, we feel for him and we do want it to end. So, Lord, it, it's very difficult for us as we struggle with these concepts. But, Lord, help us as we head into this coming year that, Lord, we would focus a little less on us and a little more on what you're doing. That, Lord, we'd focus a little less on that which is here and focus a little more on that which counts for eternity. And, Lord, for those who are carrying some heavy burdens, Lord, will you use us to come alongside to help them? Lord, may we all grow through it. May we all be impacted and changed for the better because of it. And, Lord, may you use us so that a world who does not know you may see Christ in us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise, not just now, but for all of eternity. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and we're going to sing.